Hey, Jeremy. Hi, <laughs> Raphael. Long time no see. Oh, boy. Long time no hear, indeed. Well, yeah, and, and uh, I, so all our listeners are like, what, what's going on? Are you guys lazy? Did you yeah. give up on the podcast? Are you guys all right? All of these things are kind of true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of lazy. Yeah. But so uh, we haven't, we talked a little bit throughout the last period, but you had some health issues. So mm. maybe you want to share that or don't, or I don't know. No, it's true. But I mean, yeah. And yeah, so good things happen to you while bad things happen to me over the last little <laughs> I think. Um, but uh, it all balances out. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, like I haven't, I haven't really shared it. I shared like a, a post on LinkedIn just recently, but I, I was like, I've really struggled to figure out how to share it, like share it on, on regular social media. Because when you think about um, like Instagram or Twitter or any of these things, there's a little bit of like, you know, you're, pref- you're presenting your best self. <laughs> well, it's, it, and, I, I see it more like a store and like yeah. you're, you're putting things in the shop and maybe a little bit of uh, process and you're, you're you're letting people know how the thing is made and you're involved in that. So you're part of it, but it's not like, Oh, I had to go to the doctor for such and such. Like you don't want to bother people with that. Yeah. It's like you know? a complicated thing emotionally. Like a, cause you don't want to be like, Hey, I need your attention because I don't feel well. Yeah. So yeah. basically, um, I had, yeah, several eye surgeries due to, and they were like kind of, they happened, not completely out of nowhere, but somewhat out of nowhere. And I had, so a retinal detachment, uh, which is pretty common for people. Like I think it's one in a hundred thousand or something for people in their forties, which I am, um, that are nearsighted and men in particular. And, but basically like, but it sounds really scary when you told me, I Mm -hmm. I remember we, I think we were supposed to record and you were like, Hey, let's do it a week later. I have a minor eye thing, but I'll, I'll be okay next week. Yeah, exactly. Well, the fr- in the first case I had, I did think it was minor. And then by the time I got in front of like a, the proper doctors, they're like, this can be really major. But if we do, we can try this like easy thing now and you might, it, it might be successful and then you're going to be great. And actually I did that and it was successful. And it was like, it was like a two week kind of turnaround. Um, but then like, as I was kind of getting better from that, um, basically, you know, they, they, this is non-invasive surgery. They can like, they put like a they just inject a little gas into your eye with a needle. That <laughs> sounds horrible, but you I think my dad it. had the same thing, but he's yeah. much older, but yeah. okay. Yeah. And then they like laser it, um, after like a few days cause it flattens out the retina. And the best way to think about the retina is like, a. It's wallpaper, or this is the analogy the doctors used. It's like, it's wallpaper, and sometimes if something tugs at it, which happens as the gel in your eye becomes fluid in your as you age, um, it can tug too hard, and, and then it tears. And then some of that fluid can get behind the eye, and that's what causes the detachment. But if you leave it, like, water behind wallpaper, the whole thing can fall off. So you have to act right away. And then they use the gas to, like, flatten the wallpaper, and then they use the laser to like, basically like burn it, like to, you know, to the back, like back did, in. Did you ever it. look at videos that they have like 3D rendered videos of what the procedure is like or things like they that? Had, they had like a little model of an eye on the... Oh, okay. Because <laughs> my, my uncle is like a, a 3D animator and I remember he did, 
visualizations for liposuction and he showed me and it was like a cartoony liposuction in 3d to explain the process no like the first doctor i talked to who was just like a you know an intern or resident he was like slapping the wall and he was (laughs) he was like actually you know like (laughs) pretending to make do wallpaper it was actually like it really unsettled me yeah it uh, wasn't it wasn't putting you at ease at all (laughs) no and then i talked to a more mature like like the professional surgeon and he was he was much imagine mowing the lawn with (laughs) with a rocket launcher yeah well he also scared me because he's like we could do this easy thing but it only has like a 50 50 chance of working but we, you know, most likely we'll have to do this really hard thing and it's going to take you months and months to recover. And within two years, we'll also have to do these other surgeries. And so I was like, oh, that sounds yeah, horrible. And, I thought and, I was just coming in for a routine thing. All these things, if it was your foot, you wouldn't have been as worried, but your eyeball, that's uh, yeah. Yeah, I think as an artist and as a designer, like... Well, I think any person living today, it, it, you that's highly true. likely you need yeah, your eyes. No. <laughs> it's true. There's no one's like, like musicians aren't like, ah, I didn't need them anyway. Yeah, they, um, they still have to use computers. So. Yeah. So, um, no, anyway, so it was actually successful. And I was like, I it, it happened like right before I was supposed to start the new job I mentioned on the last podcast. And so it was like a week before. And I was like, don't worry, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. Like, I just need to delay. They're like, sure. And so everything was great. Um, and I was recovering. And then... I, I noticed what I noticed in the first place happen again. And actually, I, sh- I should have said, like, the way this comes, if, like, maybe I could be like an advocate for retinal health, but the way you know you have a problem is first you'll see, like, a large floater, you know, like the little things that float in, in front of your eyes. Have you ever? I've seen those as long as I remember as a kid. Like, the, it looked like little sea creatures or something. Yeah. 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 Those are like little p- pieces of actually, like, either blood or tissue that, you know, it, it comes off of the back of the eye, the retina. When because oh, I remember is, seeing yeah. them more as a kid. Now that I'm really? paying attention. I can see them, and it's mm. like they're slightly off the middle. And if I start chasing them with my eye, they move away from me. Yeah, they'll never go away. So um, because they're just think of your eye as a snow globe, and all yeah. that stuff's in there. It can't get out. Yeah. Um, but basically, when you're a kid, maybe you saw them more because the brain learns to unsee them, actually. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so I had a really, really big one. Like, imagine like a dark cloud uh, of like Yeah, that's what I remember talking to you. It's like, yeah, I got this cloudy thing. They're going to fix it. I'll be back next week. Yeah, and it was kind of moving around like a swarm of like black flies or something in my eye. Yeah. And I went to see a, a, a doctor and they're like, well, we don't see any tears, but we'll have to keep an eye on it. And then eventually... We'll yeah, yeah. There's a lot of keep an eye on it puns, and not, so nothing really happened. But then one day, um, some friends came to visit, and we were like um, out hiking, or it was it was around the same day, or like this weekend we went out hiking, and I could see like kind of like a shimmery shadow in the periphery of my vision, and they had told me to watch out for that, um, like some kind of darkness. It's hard to describe because it's like not. It's like not reality, right? You're starting to see something. Sounds like a Jordan Peele movie. It kind of like it, I think I described it to some people as if you've watched the term, uh, not the Terminator, but Predator. You know how the Predator is sometimes like, like, like liquid transparent kind of thing, like a shimmer. The movie character, the, the Predator. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, the Predator. Like when the Predator goes invisible, it's kind of like that, but a l- little bit of darker. Um, sort of a anyway. clo- cloaking from sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So then I, you, and you really can see sometimes flashes too in the night or darkness. Um, so anyway, I saw that again, this, you know, kind of after the successful surgery and they were like, oh, you have another one. Uh, this is extremely rare, but it, what your last surgery was successful, but we can see that you have torn your retina and it's, it's, it's detached again. Yeah, I was really worried. I kept texting you and it would take a week to hear back from you because of course you weren't allowed to look at screens so Kristen yeah. was doing your communication and oh yeah I should have mentioned that yeah like immediately like I had to go off of all media and so I, I, I didn't I barely let anyone know except maybe my family yeah and Kristen was kind of freaking out because she was like what is going on like because I was healing and then you well know, so much right happened in such a short time because we were on vacation and you heard that you got laid off <laughs> And then you're like, oh, I'll do the artist thing. And we'll but you were also buying a new house. Yeah. And, and I you also still have the place in Toronto. And then you moved there. And then you're reliant on Kristen financially. Yeah. So and at first we stressful. had like the And then you're theories. like, I have a new job. Oh, actually, I can't do it because my eyeballs are torn apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was like every week something. Actually, every week since I moved here, there's been like something that's gone wrong. It's like, this place is cursed. What's really funny about all this is, it, I, I not funny, but. The things that you can be stressed about that are oh, really yeah. nothing to worry about. You're like, oh, I missed the, I'm too late for the promo code for this sale of this, this pair of jeans. Or so, like something that completely non-stressful that you might stress about. And then, in, and then when you have medical stuff, often people are quite calm. You're like, okay, we'll take it. Oh my God. Yeah. Like if I had started the year and people and they were there and people were like, okay, here's what, like, cause we're about to do 2023. If they started 2022, like the ball dropped, they're like, yay. And then they're like, here's what's going to happen to you, Jeremy. There's going to be a war in the Ukraine. <laughs> and then you're going to have to fire your whole team. And then you're going to get laid off and you're, but you're going to move to Calgary. Fight about severance and you're not going to get <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. You're going to have a hard time with that. And, but then you're going to find a new job, but then you're going to lose your eyesight and potentially go blind and then you're going to recover but then you're going to get it you're going to have a worse problem yeah. <laughs> and so you for recovery you had to lay down with your face down towards the floor yeah so then for I, how long yeah for, well so then i had the second surgery and it's more severe it's called a vitrectomy it's like a vasectomy but for your eye no they don't take your whole eye out but they take all <laughs> of the the fluid out of your eye like um so they kind of vacuum it out then they fill it with a hundred percent with a gas and then they like they look for what all did the that tears feel like um well it they like basically you you are awake during the surgery they recommend that um so they just use kind of like you know when you have dental surgery they use like a freezing agent they actually use something almost identical to that um and so they just kind of freeze it so you don't really feel you feel a little bit of pain but you can see stuff yeah, so you can only, but you can't, you're, there's no lens. It's like your camera without any lens, so you can see shadows. And that is so sci-fi, weird, yeah. like Terminator, Total Recall stuff. Yeah, but the shadows are like actually the thing, like the light that can't reach your retina. Because so I remember like having like my theater. my wisdom teeth removed, and even that, like I, w I wasn't under, so I would see all yeah. the tools coming towards me and then you see blood coming out but you're not really seeing anything you can't feel it so that but this is yeah. way crazier they put a little curtain over your other eye though so that okay. you're not like looking into the surgeon as he's like whoa what's that <laughs> oh shit uh, we shouldn't have done that oh yeah <laughs> but there's like you see light from the laser which is like crazy actually it's hard i can't really describe it in like, yeah oh uh, man 
uh, it's like sparkles and shapes and things, but then yeah. and like it's like lightning direct uh, into anyway. the brain. Yeah, direct <laughs> direct interface between laser and brain. Oh um, man! And then you see the instruments, like the little vacuum cleaner. And you see it kind of come in. The thing like, I always have with these uncomfortable things, I'm just like, it's just a few minutes. It'll be over. And you keep telling yourself, well, it's like an hour. Yeah. But. but you're right yeah like you meditate and they're like do you want to take anti-anxiety medication but i had a friend who like survived like a a colon cancer surgery and he was like he had no anesthetic at all and i was like well if he could do that like completely without any anesthetic because the recovery is better like if the body knows in that surgery anyway that it's in trouble um then it's like it heals faster so I was you, like, you weren't like, I'm too afraid of the surgery. Just, just end it. Um, no, no, no. I mean, just ending it would mean they give you fi- like a few seconds to decide if you want to have it because, um, j- but then they're like, you, you ask them what your choices are and they're like, well, you will go blind in this eye. Um, or we can, we can act right away. Yeah. So yeah, you don't, yeah. there's no, there's no like second opinion. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, but it I is to, like, good that the and, body has a left and right backup. Huh? Like, that's true, yeah. but I'm terrified of the other eye something happening. Yeah. you know the whole time because it's like once you've had two incidents in two weeks, you're like, oh yeah. shit. And so anyway, they did the surgery. I could see like little vacuum cleaners going in and out. Like they basically cut a, a hole in the side of your eye, and they they insert like a little camera with a light. And this and is probably going to be our least listed episode. Two nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can, but you can see like the shadows of all these instruments. And it's oh. kind of like bizarre, but you're also I like, hope I never have to do this. It sounds awful. But wait a second, because I, you know, again, you know, channeling this conversation I had with a friend and maybe this is the gift I can pass along. I was like, well, as an artist, like I care about human experience and like, we're all going to go through some kind of difficulty with our bodies in our lifetimes. Right. It's kind of, I mean, you're lucky if you have a heart attack in your sleep, but chances are, especially with eye stuff, like a hundred percent of people that live past 85 or something, or I think it's like 90% have to have cataract surgery, which is where they replace the lens in your eye with a mechanical lens. And it's pretty routine. And I, you know. I imagine the older we get, the more of these procedures will advance. Yeah. And, uh, uh, the more likely. But also, they know. stack. You're going to get like a bunch of different things, you know. And yeah. So, I mean, it's part of our cybernetic future, too, if you're a nerd, you know. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, yeah. You know, how will this progress? Um, so, I looked at it that way. Like, I, the, as like a, I have front row seats to an experience that, you know, otherwise you, most people are in their eighties when this happens, by the way. I'm glad you're thinking positively. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Uh, that's like you getting a hernia now. It's like, well, I got front row seats to what we're all going to get when we're 80. Well, it was super stressful. Don't get me wrong. And like, but when you're, when you start to have the stress, you realize that the only way to not be stressed is to act on it. Yeah. Yeah. That gives you control. Yeah. When I saw the second time, I was like, shit, like, should I be in denial? No, I have to act right now. Like yeah, within yeah. a few hours, I was like, let's go to the doctor. Let's get this done. Oh, um, because you're just like, you, wishful thinking does not really, you know, translate into good health. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe no, I, I know my, my dad had a couple of things. He had some injections into his eye or something. I don't know what, but it seems yeah. okay now. No. Yeah. And also like, I think I'm getting to that age though. We're friends are having these major health setbacks. Um, yeah, also divorces. That's like 
Oh. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I know our listener is a more broad-based thing, but like they always talk about middle age being like a total bummer. Or my my uh, my father-in-law says like getting old's not for wusses. <laughs> yeah. But the game doesn't get easier. And I think it's interesting too, because your career progresses and you're, you know, you might progress into leadership. So you have more responsibility, but then like the knocks get harder. Like, okay, you have more responsibility. How do you like it if we like take away one of your eyes or yeah. like some cancer on top of that? I, I, um, I have to say that... Uh, your brain changes also because because of responsibility. So you start thinking yeah. less risky and you're like, well, let's keep it together. And yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, in this case, though, they're like pretty clear. I have a lo- I had like a long list of things I couldn't do. Like I still have that list. Like I'm not allowed to fly. I can't change altitude quickly. Cause For how long? Exp- until there's like no gas in my eye. Because okay. basically you're at, they fill your eye with gas and then it slowly the gas re- gets replaced with body fluid. But is that like a year or two years? No, the, but they, they used a long-acting gas on me because what they found when they finally got into my eye was I had um, what they call like a GRT, a giant retinal tear is what it stands for. Like that's their lingo, GRT. And I was like, what does that mean? Giant retinal tear. <laughs> it's a big <laughs> it's one. Like, it's a big one. And that was probably causing some of the other problems. And so... They basically lasered like 360 degrees around my eye so that it would be like impossible for another tear. Wow. This is funny. Like, why aren't horror movies just about this? Why do we have to add all this narrative? This is the yeah. actual scary stuff. Yeah, you're in the waiting room during the whole horror like movie. The, this would like, be a fascinating movie. The whole uh, hope that, like, the whole, there's a whole dramatic tension of like, oh, it's no big deal. I'll just, uh, like, you're calling your friends. I'll be back in a week. And it's like, oh, yeah. it's a GRT. A GRT, and then you could do all kinds of interesting cinematic ways of telling the story of of lasers shooting into your eyeballs and being half conscious. And uh, I mean, the bottom line was what you said earlier. I had to stay face down then for two weeks after that. Like, yeah, like so, in a massage chair with a circle around your head. Yeah, and yeah. I wasn't allowed to use devices. I could listen to like TV. I had like a mirror. They said I could watch TV if I was six feet away from it, but you don't want to watch TV in a mirror with one eye from six feet away. <laughs> so I listened to a lot of audiobooks, um, drank everything out of straws. Uh, and I, it honestly felt like it was going to be impossible. But, you know, one day becomes another. And then you start to establish like routines and get comfortable kind of just sitting alone thinking. And, you know, coming out of it, I, you know, felt more and more emotional, but not in terms of depression, but more in terms of just um, like kind of gratitude. I've been very emotional since then too. Like I cry at like Christmas mm-hmm. <laughs> trail movie trailers and stuff. And uh, yeah, I think it's just the, uh, coming out of it. Well, you just feel like vulnerable, kind of, I imagine. Yeah. And so I'm just, gr- you know, you also feel grateful. Like the first time I was allowed to look up um, with my good eye and look around. I like, I was in like a business park or something or industrial park and I cried, Mm. you know, in the ride. I was just riding in the car. It's just very emotional. Um, cause you think you, you know, you're going to lose everything. And also like, even when you're confronting losing, you know, part of your mobility or accessibility, everyone's rallying around you to help, or at least in my case they were. And I was just like, that's, you know, it's just really nice to know that... Um, yeah, and it's really hard to be that grateful, This the feeling you have after any recovery, even if it's just the flu, and all of a sudden the aches are gone, you can breathe well, and you mm-hmm. and the first few days you're really grateful, and then you're just back to your normal self. And it's, it's very hard to realize how lucky you are when you're healthy. 
Yeah, I remember I had like a, my grandmother did not have a good like final years of her life. She had like a kidney transplant and all kinds of stuff. But for like 25 years, she was sick. And I remember, you know, like it was, I didn't understand it as a child, but she would still make space for like family and friends. And like, yes, she'd complain about pain and stuff. And we'd be like, ah, oh, granny, stop complaining. But like, honestly, I, I can't, you know, doing 25 years of pain and suffering. And a lot of people do this and still having space to like send cookies to everyone on Christmas and you know, bake cakes for me on my birthday and stuff. Well, that, I think that's actually fun. So then when you're doing yeah. that, you're not worried about... Uh, no, that's the thing. Yeah. So like, you know, thank you uh, to you personally for calling me when I, you know, and, and other friends. Well, I did. figured you you couldn't look at stuff, but you could use audio. So I figured you'd be kind of bored and you'd be I was, yeah. uh, happy to talk. Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. Anyway, I, I, I do feel at this point very grateful um, I know it's a long story. It it didn't end there, by the way. Like I had other complications come up because I had nerve damage, and then I got a you know my cornea got s scratched, and then so how many how many specialist. physical procedures outside of the, the uh, doctor visits and checkups? But how many interventions? There were like I guess three, and then the fourth was I had to, the the lame one at the end was the cornea problem, which still kind of is slightly nagging, and I, I had to tape my eye uh, closed for like. Um, over a week, which is kind of kind of silly, you know. And how like, is it now? And now, like most days, um, it's pretty good. I just have to take some drops, and um, I, I can't see. I have eighty twenty vision out of the eye, um, and I still have a gas bubble, so it's slowly getting better. I might have um, I might have cataracts. Uh, they're not sure if it's this you know, cataracts or this thing called lens feathering. Either way, I'll have cataracts within two years and I'll have to have cataract surgery. So it, it's like a two year recovery timeline. In and and so I'm, do you think like uh, you're using your good eye more instinctively? Oh yeah. Like I'll often just close the right eye and ignore it. because I'm like, yeah, it's, it's always, but there's a risk when you, when you stop using it, that it, uh, um, I don't know what the risk is actually. They okay. keep telling me to use it. You're right. Um, to be, they're like, just go back to normal. I'm like, go back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> it's like not and, possible. And do you have to limit your screen time now? Um, not really. That's, but it's kind of weird that that's not a rule anymore. It is at the at the very beginning. You can't use any screens. You can't read. You're not allowed to like. You're just supposed to stare at the ground basically. But then, like I and you couldn't. You can't wash your face. You have to wear a diving mask in the mm. shower and. All kinds of weird limitations, like couldn't lift anything over five pounds. Um, yeah, you don't want the blood pressure to go up. Yeah. yeah. Was, so during that first little while, there's a lot of limitations. Now I'm just not allowed to do rigorous activity. But I did shovel the walk yesterday, which I probably shouldn't have done. But um, yeah, but you can no walk. Extreme you you can walk through the city like. Uh, yeah, basically no racket. Don't go yeah. doing racquetball or any kind of like eye-prone injury <laughs> sports. Basically, is what they've done. No now. scuba diving. Yeah. But I'm, and no travel is the main thing. Um, oh, that's weird for you, huh? Yeah, that but was in a way, identity. you know, like a friend is going to come to visit over the holidays. I'm grateful for that. Like my sister came and visited. I'm like, no one has visited me ever in Toronto. And I've talked about this on the podcast. Like in 20 years, 25 years, no one's visited me. And suddenly I'm sick and they're coming. I just got to get sick more often. And yeah. People visit. <laughs> and and um, uh, so you're not flying for a while, so that means you won't go to Toronto, and so your family has to come to you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I might take the train to Vancouver uh, next year. 
because I can take the train. I I can't drive. I'm not allowed to drive right now. So Kristen's like my chauffeur. For how long? Um, Until it's cleared up. um, Until my vision is like a little bit better than it is. Okay. Um, Yeah. It's just too dangerous because like my peripheral vision on my right side is really bad. Yeah. 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 Um, but we'll see, like, there's no guarantees. That's one thing I've learned in this. It's like, even if the doctor's like, yeah, it was a hundred percent successful, there's no guarantee. Um, well, the, 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 the messed up thing is as you get older, you, you can try to get back to okay, but you'll never go from okay to great. Like, well, yeah. And I'm choosing to look at it differently, which is like that chapter of my life is kind of over. And now I'm, you know, I've had this experience and it'll change me, but just like other experiences have changed me. And, um, yeah. You know, we'll, I'll, yeah, that I'll, is weird. That sometimes change is refreshing and or gives you insight. Yeah, yeah. So I would mark this year as the year of change, like every possible change, health change, uh, life, yeah, what like a wild change, yeah. yeah, geography change. But I, I'm really eager actually to catch up with you because while we've been away, you've been busy as you know. Well, it's busy it's funny because I'm always this. We're always doing this discussion like you take the side of let's make the world a better place. Let's be good and kind. And And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, (laughs) satisfy your own interests and ignore the rest of the world. And yeah. Yeah. Well, in a way I'm probably, I probably came a little closer to you over the last little while because now I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll have that, like, uh, that smoked meat sandwich with extra (laughs) (laughs) beef on the side or whatever, you know, like, if I only have this much left, I'm going to, yeah, like I'm going to enjoy this. (laughs) Uh, but like you, you just got back from Tokyo, which is yeah. my favorite place. One, I think both of us agree is one of the best places on the planet, best yeah. cities. And you had a show there. I want to hear all about it. How did it go? Well, so um, my first trip to Japan was 2009. I, I did a residency for three months and I got to know Tokyo quite well. And I didn't meet uh, the my gallerist, but a year later I just got an email from a gallery in Tokyo do you want to do a show that was Takuro Somea and we, that was my first gallery actually so it's been 22 years that we worked together and I've been back almost every year but because of COVID uh, it, it had been I think three and a half years so I did a show there two years ago that I couldn't attend I only saw it on uh, documentation and now I finally got to go so I was very happy and excited and eager and uh uh, I really missed it. It was just this routine of going to Tokyo once a year. And uh, sorry if that sounds uh, privileged, but just something I really love. And going back, it was better than I remembered. It was. Uh, um, it felt like the whole city was cleaner than before. And I think because of the Olympics, they had renovated a lot of buildings. Oh. And, and this is maybe something about how media works like I had read so much about Japan not being in a good situation e- economically for 25 years mm-hmm. and then you go there and everything is so nice and maybe I'm just in a nice part of town and the life in the countryside is harder etc but it was amazing and, and uh, I remember we we arrived and the first day we were jet lagged and we, we the, the, the only thing that was open was this Starbucks with a view of the park mm-hmm. and, and uh, sort of in the middle of Tokyo so we were sitting there, and I went to the bathroom, and I'm like, this is the cleanest Starbucks bathroom I've ever seen. It's insane. <laughs> it's like, it looked like a surgery room, like so clean. And it, Starbucks, I don't know how it is in Canada, but in, in the U.S., it's like the public bathroom by default, and just within 20 minutes, it just becomes a disaster. It's every cleaner time here. Clean. 
I, yeah. I actually joke about this with Kristen a lot. Like yesterday I joked about, we went to Ikea and she grabbed a bunch of things off the shelf and then she like just put them down randomly in places. Oh, and I was like, and no. I was like, Kristen, you can't do that. You have to put it back where this you found Canada. it. This is Canada. I was like, this is, this is in America. This is not a tall, but it's like <laughs> Times yeah. Square or something like that. No, but it's it, 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 stuff it, on the ground. I mean, of course toilets sound banal, but it says something and, yeah, but yeah, but I think it's there. They have a personal responsibility to public space and keeping it clean. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. but so overall, it was an amazing experience. Uh, the show was great. Uh, uh, the gallery had installed the works really well and had this special kind of LED lighting that the works were very. The, the colors were so intense; I'd never seen them so bright. So mm. um, that was great. And then we went to Naoshima to the museum island, and we're there for a couple of days. But and tell us, tell tell our audience about your exhibition. So, uh, oh what yeah, what were you showing? Yeah, I was showing uh, lenticular works and weavings, and the weavings are the abstract browsing series, which is this plugin that I made in 2014. And ever since I've been making these weavings, they're abstractions of web pages. So, I'll visit a web page, and then basically it's an it's a browser extension, and I just always have it installed. And then if I see a new web page that I haven't seen in a while, I'll hit that button, and it'll abstract it, and I'll be like, "Oh, that's interesting. I'll save this composition." Mm-hmm. So it's my browser. It's my browsing diary. I, I think it's my favorite work of yours, just because okay. it kind of incorporates all of your yeah, all yeah. of your various aesthetics into and conceptually into one. Yeah. And so this exhibition was very tall one, so it kind of shows an entire web page, not so much just what you see on your laptop might be just a portion of the mm, website page. And these, these long pages feel more like, oh, that's all, even though a web page might be much longer than that. But uh, they were mm-hmm. three meters tall, so the taller, that's always the rule with art. It's like, if you really want to make it art, make it bigger than a person. Would be, I, I think it would be great to have for me to have one in this. My new house has like a oh, three cool. stories of height yeah, um, yeah, yeah. in one big volume. Well, I told you you should... Uh, mint one of the cabinets, this NFT series, and then have it painted because it's it's. But I like the I like the uh, the idea of the textile because it would it would like make the room. It's true that it changed the acoustics of the room. It, it gives a coziness to the room. Yeah. yeah, and then you also showed lenticulars in the show. No? Yeah, and uh, so the lenticulars, as a no- side note, uh, I started making those also around the same time, maybe twenty thirteen, mm-hmm. and I'd been producing them in New York for seven years. And at some point, there were these dark stripes, like soft stripes in the middle of the image. And uh, the printer said, well, there's something wrong with your file. But I made the files the same way I always did. Yeah, so. it was the printer's fault. And then the, the printer said they did a firmware update on the something of a moray interference problem. And they just we, we worked for three months and like screaming at each other, it's your fault, it's my fault, blah, blah. <laughs> and it stopped working. So then... I tried a place in the Netherlands, in Germany, in Italy, in Poland, and they all had the same issue. So I was like, okay, well, the series is over. And then my gallery in Japan said, oh, we found this uh, new lenticular printer in uh, Japan. Let's give it a try. And they came out much brighter or more saturated than ever before. I think printers are... Everyone who goes to the printer comes with RGB, and then the printer has to say... Well, mm. let me tell you about how printing works because it's yeah, going to look like okay. mud. Mm-hmm. And every and everybody accepted that, but I think we're at a turning point now where printers are 
adding inks, uh, special uh, methods to get closer to RGB. I think that whole, everyone in art school is like, physical uh, pigments are different than the screen. And now they're like, you know what? We're going to make the pigments like the screen. I did notice that when I do like digital printing, like print on demand stuff, which I sometimes well, they just use eighteen do. colors or something. Okay, because sometimes yeah. I do that just like for a quick fun thing, and well, then I'll be like, "How come this looks better than when I?" Yeah, I mean, it, 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 we've basically been taught like printing is four colors because that's just the choice. It, the same with uh, when you have painting classes, and they say, "Well, there's the primary colors and black." Yeah. So the Mondrian set of colors, basically, and you can make anything with that, but that's just not true. That's well, There's I mean, so I, I grew up in a family that did print, right? My parents were ran a design agency, and we primarily yeah. did packaging design. So I did my first job was doing color separations, which is like in print speak, you take an image and you divide it into like little yeah. channels, yeah, yeah, each for a different color. But we would never do CMYK. We always used custom colors because my dad was very good at print. So he'd be like, "No, well, we really want this violet to be like." This yeah, very yeah. Vibrant thing, but it's you know? always been this thing of any artist when they mm. make their artist book, and then the printer says, "Well, it's not going to be like that," and uh, yeah. and everybody just accepted it. But I think that's changing now. But of course, it, anyone that's done silk screen printing knows, like you know, it's just you can mix inks like you can mix paint, right? You could yeah. use fluorescent if you want. Well, you could you could get to the same kind of um, color accuracy or, or color control as a painter with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it just takes time. I remember my father used to go to do what were called press proofings, um, which was like, you know, you go and make sure that the color on the press matched the color in the studio. Yeah. And then like, but in the in the 90s, companies stopped wanting to pay for that. And so they'd be like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Mm. <laughs> and he was like so depressed about it. He's like, they never pay for press proofings anymore, you know? No, I, I know. Yeah. yeah. But the printers still cared. Like if you've, have you ever talked to anyone that worked on a press? Because... Yeah, yeah. They have yeah. to mix the colors by hand, and they really like they take the craft pretty seriously. But it's also and even like yeah. how much ink they put on the plates, right? Matters. And but in a way, like the, the RGB, the the light spectrum, the gamut is yeah. w- wider than the physical spectrum. But there is are pigments. Th- there are pigments, physical pigments like co- pure cobalt or oh right pure or vermilion. black. Y- you could get to certain color experiences that you just can't get to there are nuances let's say if you look at flowers if you go to the botanic garden you could see such intense colors because there's a combination of pigments and and textures that it's just a really back to your eyeballs there's 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 a stimulation there that's very different from just a hex code on your device yeah recently i've like hesitated to take photos because i'm so disappointed in every photo i take you know of like especially actually since i moved out here because the landscapes are kind of incredible and then you look at it on your phone, you're like, no, no, that's not how. Such it's a reduction. Like, yeah, and especially we've all had that sunset moment where it's well, like. Well, that's the like, whole reason I went yeah. to abstraction because I didn't want to mimic, make a reduction of what you see. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a poor copy, right? So, yeah, but then you can do things in animation or in code-based images that don't exist in the when you go yes, hiking. Yeah, of course. Alas, so that so you, so you, the but the thing when I asked you over uh, text message, you know, how's it going in Japan, or when we chatted on the phone after you were, you mentioned the food again. Uh, oh which yeah, everyone yeah. always does. Um, yeah. But specifically in Tokyo, like there are certain things I ha- like. Every restaurant does only one thing. Yeah, I mean not everyone, but a lot of them. No, and no, they do I it know. extremely well. Yeah, and I have actually memories of each dish that I had the last <laughs> time I was there. 
Um, no, it's crazy because it, 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 the same thing with the cleanliness, and you're like, why can't we learn from that? Like they they obviously mm-hmm. figured it out, and the same with food. There, there's far fewer chain restaurants, and then I'll email a couple of friends because there's always new tips, and they're like, oh, go to this neighborhood, to that place, they make the best yeah cutlet or the best soba noodles or the like best. they specialize. Yeah. And the restaurant like, will be like three people staff, maybe 12 seats or eight seats. And there's a yeah. line around the block. And any American company would then start franchising. But they're like, no, don't advertise this. We don't want people to know. We just want to keep the quality <laughs> high. Yeah. I mean, of course, they have a population density of a country in the city. So they can they can limit it to a certain extent. Like I keep thinking like in a small town, you know, you go to a Chinese restaurant, but they also serve Korean and Japanese. Like you yeah, can have sushi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also no, have it, that's a good point. Like a, a Japanese friend of mine, we always talk about food. And he said that this idea of a tasting menu, like a fancy restaurant with a 12 course dinner, mm-hmm. it's kind of for people who don't live in the city, who go to the city. And they're like, well, I only get to eat this nice once a year. So give me everything you have. Yeah, And I think if you live in a city, you're like, oh, today I want the best oysters. So I'll go to this place that just has oysters. And yeah. I don't, then I don't need to also have hollandaise sauce on a grilled fish. That's another restaurant. Yeah. 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 Since I moved to Calgary, which has fewer restaurants, some of them are good though, by the way, but there's fewer. Um, I'm doing that with grocery stores. I'm like, I want the best. <laughs> yeah. You know, because if you're cooking for yourself, you suddenly are like, this ingredient is far better than that one. Why wouldn't I spend $2 yeah. more? We started doing the uh, grocery, uh, like farm box delivery thing, and it, it oh, yeah. forces us to cook more. It's nice. Good. Yeah. So, what was the best dish you had, though? Was it like a well, soba noodle? or? Did well, you, I'm, I'm obsessed with soba noodles in general. Mm-hmm. So, I, I asked everybody, what's your favorite soba place? And I tried to do one restaurant per day. Mm-hmm. Um, when Christina was there, we I was a bit more mellow, but then she left to go back to teaching. And so I had a week on my own and I would walk two hours to the next sober place. Or, mm. And I remember someone told me, well, there's, this place is very small and it has a Michelin star and they don't take reservations. So I, I go there, I get there early before opening and the line is already quite long. I'm like, okay, I'll try it. Then it turned out there was a waiting room inside too, so the line was longer than I thought. And then <laughs> nobody knew how long it would take. They weren't communicating anything. They weren't p- putting your name down. I see how being alone in that situation is a huge advantage. Yeah, there because you don't have the person be like, "Oh, is it going to be that? Much is it longer? worth it?" Yeah, yeah. But I remember I was standing in line and I was thinking, I think my food obsession is getting out of hand a little bit because <laughs> I was in line for three hours for oh some goodness. soba noodles. But it was worth it. It was special and. Um, yeah, but the, the general quality of, of soba noodles, it, it's maybe the same as bread in Europe. And like you can mm. mimic it, but there's something about having French no, bread I know. in France. I know what you're saying. Like, for some reason, even at the train station in, in Europe, like, you'll get a better baguette than you'll get yeah. in a high-end bakery exactly. in yeah. North America. Yeah. It, it's strange. Like, there are good French bakeries in New York. It's just not the same, but yeah. They, yeah, they say it's the water, actually, and stuff like that. Anyway, but um, I, I was going to share... Uh, so could you have soba noodles here and be satisfied? Because, you know, there's this expression, my mom, I shared it with, she shared it with me once. Cause I asked her why she was so demanding. This was when I was a kid, when we, got, when we went to restaurants, she'd ask for like it, things done a certain way. And if they weren't, she'd send it back to the kitchen. And then she told me like, well, Jeremy, once you've had the best, you can't settle for second best. I, I have to say when I uh, did the residency in Tokyo for three months, I was very spoiled. It, was, it just, 
food is very affordable there. So even a yeah. good restaurant and, and the quality is great. And going back to the Netherlands, where I was like, I can't eat Japanese food here. I would, I would have to eat other kinds of food. But <laughs> after a while, you adapt. And then one of my favorite restaurants in New York is Kokoron, and they make soba and curry and other things. And they're really pretty great. But at yeah, some point, I think they had the supply of buckwheat was less. So the percentage of buckwheat was lower in the noodles. Mm. And I, I'm friendly with them. And I was like, I don't mean to be rude, but it feels like there's less soba in the, in the noodles. <laughs> and he, and he, he put his hands in front of his face. He's like, I'm sorry, sorry. Only you would understand. <laughs> but what shame that you brought upon yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> now, now they're back. Uh, the percentage is good again. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, but the, the but, thing, the thing yeah. with soba noodles is if you, it's about the percentage of wheat and buckwheat. You can go 100% buckwheat or 85 and the higher the buckwheat percentage, the higher the chance of the noodles breaking. So it's more precise with boiling them. And mm, interesting. Yeah. I, uh, but I also like it, sushi. I think is one of those things probably anyone can understand. Like if you've had fresh fish and then you have like garbage California rolls, yeah. or you know, you can never go really back. Or you don't. Or maybe you distinguish them as well. Maybe two different maybe food what it categories. is is certain foods are okay in lower quality like yeah um, like french fries or something yeah and then certain things like sushi should be a treat i think it shouldn't be a staple so then why compromise yeah. so would you you would never go into a grocery store and then you know to the prepared food aisle and grab one of those sushis that well, are sitting there it is weird because maybe the other option is like poutine and you're like oh do i get mm. uh, yeah but uh the other thing a, that a i love poutine about being the, the lowest bar of food I still haven't had it, but yeah. on that spectrum, like in Tokyo, do you go to the Seven Elevens? Like, do you because they have? Some I used good food to, but there. I, I kind of mm-hmm. stopped doing that. I, now I, I feel like, oh, I only have this many meals left, and then I'm yeah. I, I my obsession was kind of getting out of hand. The the thing I really also love is Japanese breakfast. Yeah, uh, it's like a, it's it's the same as dinner, just smaller. But there's something about it. Yeah. Um, Sorry if this, I, this episode must be boring. No, no, but the last thing I'd throw in there is the best thing I had. Well, there were two meals I still remember really well from Tokyo. One was like a like a katsu, like a pork katsu oh, place. Yeah, yeah. And that's all they did. And it was just like the most perfectly breaded, yeah. sumptuous pork. Well, that is like one thing night. where it's very hard to go back because you've seen yeah. the, the amount of air in the in the breading. Like it's, it's almost oh, like yeah. the breading exploded in the oil and left all these gaps yeah. of air and makes it very crunchy or that they, was one it, they're shaped like crystals like yeah yeah that was incredible and it was like prepared in like it seemed like 30 seconds like mcdonald's time well or i went to a, a a really nice katsu place and there was only one chef and then there was someone doing the rice and the salad and the miso soup but he was mm. the, the katsu chef and something you would never see outside of japan is he didn't wear any gloves or protection so he just had a walk with oil and long chopsticks and he was just his hands were very close to the oil, but like no big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're masters. The other place I remember, well, there's, oh man, now that I think about it, there was like a Japanese curry place and then there was an udon noodle place and yeah. they only did udon noodles. And I swear to God, like it was one of those places where people line up at like 10 a.m. for lunch. But those udon noodles, they were there was like a bounciness and a springiness yeah. and a, I, I, yeah. I, I've never there's, had anything There's a couple again, of good like udon places in New York as well and, yeah, mm. it's not as good, but I, I feel like New York, you get 90% there or 85% there, but then 
you get mm-hmm. many different cuisines. So you get really good Korean food here too, or Chinese, mm. or yeah. Well, lots to be grateful for. Yeah, uh, that what, sounds like you had a great the, trip. What's the regional produce or meat that's good in your area? Where I am living in Calgary? Oh, yeah. it's beef. Like, um, yeah, the best beef in probably North America is raised here. Okay. And so if I go to, like, there's a 10-minute walk to the grocery store, I can get, like, local beef from a farm. A lot of people just, like, they'll get a cow, like, or a piece oh, of, like, a quarter a of a cow. Freezer? Yeah, yeah. Uh, at the beginning of the year. Um, but it really is kind of, like, I don't think it's maybe Kobe level or whatever, but yeah, yeah, Alberta yeah. beef is, like, really, really good. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, one so of the things that I admire about Japan is they, they keep the portion small, so you can enjoy great food, but you still be you can stay mm-hmm. healthy as well yeah sure yeah i, I don't yep yeah. i mean i care about health obviously still you know what, what i said earlier but yeah um, yeah so the, the the show is a success sounds like you had some really good food some vacation yeah i saw friends and uh, yeah it was great yeah uh, and, so and, and it definitely felt like very enjoyable but also happy to go home and uh yeah mm-hmm. so what's next um i'm catching up on making works and then I'm, I'm preparing I'm not sure exactly in what form but I'm preparing my own website for launching NFT projects just like a portal for all my projects maybe we could spend a moment on this because since we last chatted with our listeners besides our lives you know kind of meandering in different directions the world kind of also had a few major events but one oh, of the them, FTX thing yeah one of them was like sort of like a, another scare in the crypto space, but also kind of like generally assumed, and we can challenge this together. There's like kind of an assumption that NFTs, you know, when we talked about on the podcast before, they don't exist anymore. The whole thing bottomed out, like there was a huge crash um, and it never recovered. And, and that's the narrative that you see on, well, that's the news. Donald Trump came out with NFTs last week and people are like laughing about it. Yeah. Um, Like it's, well, that's what's actually, that's the same thing where everybody's like Twitter's collapsing. And then, had you not read the news and you were just using Twitter, you would have not seen any difference. Mm-hmm. So, how, like, what are you seeing from your perspective as someone who is like kind of there? To early me, to me, leading? the market is irrelevant. I just keep going, and then sometimes mm-hmm. the market will go up, sometimes it'll go down, and then if there's something to get, uh, I'm happy mm-hmm. to get something, and if not, I'm happy to make the work. So, can I, I share I just like? I, can I share something though? After the FTX collapse thing happened, I, I had some money stored in a wallet with um, one of the like platforms, and they like told everyone, "Get your money out and put it in, like because it's vulnerable to the collapse uh, because of like different um, stable coins that they were pegged yeah. to, and like put it in ETH or something like that." So I went and I put like all that money into ETH. So I like tripled my my ETH. Like ETH was cheap at that time too because of the collapse. And then I was like, so I ha- it's not that much that I have. I have like 2.5 ETH now. Like that's my entire art sales for the year yeah. or whatever. Um, but I was like, oh, what's this? Like, I want to look at this staking thing. Ooh. And on my like platform, they allowed staking. So I was like, I'll just put that in the stake because like, look, I'll get 3% and I can always unstake. And so yeah. then, I, I, you know, things were tough a little bit financially. I was like, you know what? I should unstake that so I can like afford to buy a bed for our house. And I went in and they're like, Unfortunately, unstaking will not be possible until the Shanghai update expected sometime in 2023. And I was like, what? That's like $5,000 that I can't touch? Like it's locked in? It's crazy. And then I realized it's kind of genius because it's, 
if anyone staked their stuff, they can't like there it's non-liquid. They can't pull out of yeah, yeah. ETH right now. So it kind of stabilizes the currency. Anyway, the currency then went up like 10%. So in a way, because I couldn't move, it was kind of worth it. But it's already yeah. back down again. I don't know. It's a roller coaster. But I was like, what other thing would be like, we'll <laughs> release an update sometime within a maybe. year. Maybe. That would allow you to get your money back. Yeah. <laughs> and I had kind but, of like... But yeah, it. yeah. My, my general feeling is just to keep going. And then I have the museum show in Germany in uh, April. So that's the main focus now. Oh, great. Yeah, that was yeah. one thing I had to do, which was cancel all my shows. Or not cancel, but postpone. And I didn't have like mountains of stuff. But I did have... Um, a commission that was supposed to open in Germany this month. Yeah. So I'm going to postpone it. I might be there in April. We could do like... Are you able to fly? Well, by then I will be able to, yeah. Mm. So it could be like uh, Dieter and... uh, Well, the the (laughs) idea is that we're we're doing... uh, The the show will open April 20, and then we're doing a symposium about NFTs in the art world and institutions for two days after that. So, oh, you, like you're going to be a part of the symposium? Yeah, uh, the symposium is, was is part of my show. Oh, really? Like Raphael Rosendahl presents? Well, it was just we were uh, we started talking. He's like, "Oh, I want to talk about doing a show." And I visited the museum, and we talked about should we show this work or that work, etc. And I was like, "Oh, let's expand it. Let's also mm. do things in public space throughout the city, and let's do events and a symposium and uh, yeah." Wow, you're like the Gary V of uh, who's Gary V? <laughs> digital art. It's kind of it's more of a joke. Um, huh. He's like a entrepreneur kind of guy that he launched a like a whole conference and NFTs and stuff. Oh and, yeah, he's like he a to, influencer dude. Yeah, but but you're not the Gary V. That's like a mean thing to say. No, no, but, but it's fine. But I, I think in general, um, I just think institutions have, have all these resources, and they're also interest. The whole premise is also the fear of NFTs being tacky and weird and, and going to yeah. destroy art. And then the museum, the whole idea of working with me is what happens when you invite a, a digitally centric artist and how do you show that work? There's so many discussions about it, but let's try and do it. And then, yeah, I think you're probably the perfect person to yeah. like do that in a way, a way that's not overhyped. That's well-mannered. Right. Yeah, no, I think they should do it with many artists, but I, I think it's just a, every step is a step. Yeah. So you'll invite some other artists to the symposium? Or yeah. And, and, curators and stuff? It's, it's a little bit about bringing artists and institutions together. So it, also the idea of preservation and acquisition from institutions, like how do they manage a wallet? and uh, Because to me, it's, it's um, from an acquisition perspective if you're a museum and they sometimes buy works that are a hundred thousand or a million or whatever yeah if you had a hundred thousand dollars to buy nfts you could buy so many cool works and a lot of them are like 250 dollars 500 dollars well the bottom line is the museums should be collect could have collected digital art before yeah but but they should collect in a much (laughs) faster way like once you set it up it should be more spontaneous and then no i know i mean i know they do that with photography and stuff right like at least in canada like i've always a lot of artists would donate also yeah yeah yeah. exactly um i was gonna say though that um did like you reminded me that there was this product release and just because we you know we've got so much to catch up on and maybe in subsequent episodes but tony fidel who designed like the Nest oh, thermostat yeah, yeah, yeah. and the original iPod? He's working was, with the Ledger. Yeah, it was really interesting to see. I don't know if you watched his keynote on stage, like releasing this new 
ledger wallet which is like a physical wallet that also like presents your nfts on the wallet is a very funny display i feel like we could dedicate a oh, the whole, e-ink display yeah, yeah a whole episode to it. it's like kindle for nfts or something yeah um i think it's a great idea but they're, they're really ambitious they want to be like the size of apple the the ledger people yeah wow like what i what i didn't understand fully is like i guess it's it's like it's unhackable is the idea like you put everything on this device and it's like it's like separately cordoned off from well the device is basically a login it's just a physical tool to log into your wallet but the the actual owners i keep i thought of this but i think blockchain is a lot more like bookmarks than like owning things in a safe Mm -hmm. basically your bookmark like this part of the blockchain is mine yeah but right, the, of course the blockchain doesn't belong to you. It's not like No, and it's not of, like that that mm. blockchain is stored on that wallet. That's not what yeah. happens. But I think the funny thing about it was that it almost evoked that idea. That but it's more like, it, I think it's more, you know, those hardware USB keys that some companies yeah. have if you log into your computer. It's more like yeah. that, I think. Yeah. And he kind of made fun of those on stage. It was interesting. But it was interesting to see also I think because user experience up until this point has not been the priority of the technology. And so I don't think that this device will probably revolutionize anything, but it does indicate like every step is a step. Yeah. Yeah, It's a step. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just so funny to see where we came from too, because that device immediately made me think of just prior to this NFT revolution, we talked about on the podcast about all these screen frames that were screens oh yeah yeah before samsung came along and stuff like you know we we don't need to name drop all the companies that went bankrupt trying to figure this out but now would probably be the time for those companies to exist like they're way too early yeah um and it would probably be integrated like you know with a device well to to me the the essential question is can you make a decentralized user-friendly experience because podcasts are decentralized the Somewhat, I guess. Yeah, it's RSS. So, mm-hmm. um, email is decentralized, but a lot of people switch to WhatsApp or to iMessage because they think email is too clunky and, and too much spam. And yeah, yeah. No, but that's another thing that you know changed while we've been off the air is that I think because you know tw- Elon Musk bought Twitter for an absurd price and then is now doing his normal PR thing of like cause controversy every day to get in the news so people use Twitter. But um, it kind of feels like it's imploding around some of the same debate. Like, should we continue to trust these centralized platforms? Or like, you know, Mastodon, which has a terrible user experience, should we start the march toward figuring out how to do a decentralized um, communication kind of But to me, Mastodon is still the same kind of attention-seeking uh, frantic thing. I always thought blogs were the best social media where you write a post maybe once a week, once every two weeks, and it's more considered and not just like, can you believe this? Fuck the world, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so I thought blogs were more a civilized thing and RSS is more civilized. Than, yeah. I don't know. I'm at this point now where because maybe because of my whole health thing is like, I am looking for sincere media. <laughs> so yeah. Like something of substance. Don't waste my time. <laughs> but even like because you know nft's got so much scam kind of stuff going on around it like i want almost like some kind of like stripped down version of the internet where real people without i know it's impossible like what i'm asking for is to go back 25 years or something you know to art school and you know being with 
five to ten people who really yeah, care. Yeah, yeah. Um, and no one's trying to get into the club. You know, well, there's not yeah, a lineup at the I door. saw some friends in Japan who were more from the Web 1 generation. And yeah. we're talking about NFTs. And I said, oh, yeah, it used to be someone would email you something and say, this is cool. And it just meant they thought it was cool. Yeah. And now someone emails you something, this is cool. And that might mean that they hold a lot of it and they want the value to go up. Yeah, it's like what I said in the last podcast around even in corporate culture, like the race towards valuation instead of like doing something good for the world. And even though like some of that was fake, it, there was a lot of sincerity. And I'm just like, I don't know. I've had a lot of time to reflect over the last few months. And I think 2023, not that this is the predictions episode, but somewhat what I'm looking for next year is just like to get closer to the the earth, you know, and to to do things that matter. Well, it feels like you're in the right part of the world to do that. And I, and I don't mean closer to the earth in so much as like I'm going to do earthworks, but you know what I'm saying? Like closer yeah. to the original reason I got involved yeah. um, that, I, that I started doing art. And, you know, the same thing you, you care about, community, craft, like actual ideas. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that, I don't, know, my, I don't know if that's what the rest of the yeah. world wants, but that's what I want. If, yeah, if, but I, I, I really believe that if you consistently work towards your own most inner interests, that things will yeah. work out. Yeah, like some good soba nudas is all I'm saying. But yeah. like, can we translate those, that soba yeah. spirit? <laughs> yeah. Can we get the percentage of uh, buckwheat up? Exactly. Like, yeah. Yeah. So things don't break. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, then um, I think this is a nice moment to wrap it up. And then next week we can do some uh, listener questions because we have a queue of questions. Yeah. Uh, do we? I don't even know because yeah, I haven't checked do. my email in three months. <laughs> Kristen was actually answering. Are, are you of my back email. to work? How's that? I am. I'm back at work um, playing it uh, one day at a time. It's not that stressful just to have basically the first two weeks is just talking to people. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm playing it one day at a time. And honestly, like, you know, the show's called Good Point. And I've often reflected on that name that we chose. Well, you chose at a, on a whim. But like, it's also a great it's kind of like a metaphor and analogy for life in a way. Like, you know, when if you look at life as like a long you know, like a graph, you know, and you think of it as this linear line that goes straight up. That's not that, you know, any point on that graph, is it a, is it a good point or a bad point? Mm-hmm. But actually there's like a lot of downs before yeah. the, the ups and a lot of steps. Know, yeah. I just been reflecting on, you know, is this a good point or not? And I it, like, I saw this thing. It's kind of cheesy, but it was like on Netflix about like, I think I won't even quote the, the the movie that I was watching but it was like for you to really move on to the next point to get over something a setback you have to send and kind of like channel all of your love toward the bad thing that happened in order to you know recognize it not as something that's holding you back but something that's kind of propelling you forward and uh I don't know that I'm that's what I'm choosing to to, the way I'm choosing to act right now yeah uh, so I think it is a good point. Yeah, um, that sounds great. It's really good to be back on the phone with you, Raf. And yeah, uh, yeah. Let's uh, to, let's for our next episode. Let's try to talk more regularly. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for holding out. Uh, we really appreciate you. We have a tremendous amount of gratitude. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll get back you to your questions and field recordings uh, next week. Okay. Take care. Bye bye.